from beautiful downtown Sacramento, it's time for Beach Blanket Fort Bingo! Beach Blanket Fort Bingo! Beach Blanket This is Spaz, and you have tuned into Beach Blanket Fort Bingo. Got a great episode for you right now. This is an exclusive interview with the Greenberry Woods, Ira Katz, Brant Huseman, and Matt Huseman. We discuss their career, their difficult second album, the new collection of unreleased recordings called House, and so much more. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this fab interview with the Greenberry Woods. Right here, Beach Blanket Fort Bingo! I first encountered the Greenberry Woods way back in 1994 when I first heard their debut album, Rapple Dapple. I was mesmerized by the band's melodic charm and fabulous harmonies. Every track on the album could have been a single, each of them filled with big enough hooks to snare Moby Dick. The album was released just as hair metal was falling away and grunge was taking hold of the charts. The Greenberry Woods were worlds away from both genres and much closer to the power pop universe. Formed by Ira Katz, Brant Huseman, Matt Huseman, and Miles Rosen, this was a band that was lovingly embraced by anyone who adored a catchy hook and angelic harmonizing. The following year, they released Big Money Item, a stellar album that completely ignored the sophomore slump syndrome and took off into new musical territories while remaining true to their pop-oriented sound. More experimental than their debut, Big Money Item was created under less-than-perfect circumstances and the band split shortly after it was released. The Huseman brothers formed Splitsville, while Ira Katz pursued other musical projects, including C.L. Blake, and the Greenberry Woods remained one of the most underappreciated bands of the 90s, beloved by a devoted group of fans and followers who kept their name and music alive on the internet for many years. However, the band did a surprise reunion show in 2018, and interest in the band was reignited. The four members of the band went through a stockpile of unreleased recordings and compiled the album House, which has just been released. Consisting of 11 studio tracks and three live recordings, this set spotlights the band's early musical output that helped land them a label deal with Sire Records. Surprisingly, this strong set of songs were passed over for inclusion on their two albums and remained in the vaults until now. I was honored to speak with Ira Katz, Matt Huseman, and Brent Huseman about the band's career, their difficult second album, and the recordings that are featured on the new release, House. I hope you enjoy our conversation and you are inspired to fall in love with the music of the Greenberry Woods, either again or for the first time. A place 
first off, can you introduce yourselves so that the listeners can get familiar with your voices? And we'll start with Ira. Okay. Um, this is Ira Katz, and uh, here I am. Yeah, this is Matt, Matt Hughesman. And this is Brant Hughesman. Starting off at the beginning, how did the four members of Greenberry Woods meet? I mean, I'm fairly certain I know how Matt and Brant met, but how did you meet uh, Ira and, uh, and Miles? Ira, you want me to tell the story about how we met? Yeah, this is a great story. Matt, take it. Well, yeah, I mean, so, you know, freshman in, in college, my, I just helped Brant move into uh, George Mason to his dorm. And then I went to uh, University of Maryland, walked open the, the, the front door of the dorm room that I was in, and Ira Katz answers the door. Of course, I walked in with uh, a guitar in hand, because that's what uh, cool people do, even though it was just like a gut string guitar, and I wasn't that good of a player. Uh, and so, anyway, he's like, well, you must be my roommate. And we had a little bit of confusion there because the guy's name had, like, Matt in it or Matthew in it or something like that. Turned out it wasn't. But then um, we became fast friends. I taught him how to play guitar, and then he started writing songs, like, after he learned three chords. And I was like, that son of a gun, if he can do it, maybe I can, too. That's it. And what about Miles? How did you come across him? Uh, actually, I grew up with Miles. Um, uh, we went to high school together in Baltimore and he was at Maryland at the same time. And I had, um, I was out to dinner one night and I had been playing with, uh, Matt and Brandt and we were looking for a drummer and I, and I saw him and he was actually a waiter at this, uh, this, uh, place in college park. And I just happened to ask him if he knew of any drummers and he said, I played the drums and I had no idea. And um, I asked if he wanted to sit in with us. And when I say sit in, we actually had very little uh, equipment. Um, we had a couple of instruments and uh, no real PA. And our next practice was set to be at uh, my apartment. And Miles had a set of drum pads. And uh, interestingly enough, um, he committed to it. It was going to be on a Sunday morning. And uh, everybody was at my place around 11 o'clock in the morning. And Miles had gone out the night before, and this is, um, if you know Miles, this is, uh, he's been steady Eddie all the way through. 11 o'clock rolled, uh, came by, and no Miles. Called him up, and I'm like, hey, man, what's, what's going on? And he said, um, nah, you know, it's a rough night last night. I, I just don't think um, I can make it over. I'm like, come on, man. I got the guys over here. So he got dressed and came over, and, and, um, and that's how we hooked up. It just seemed to click when we uh, practiced that, that first day. Well, she may be kind of pretty, but it doesn't mean a thing. Because you think good to me. She's taking all my time, but she doesn't have a ring. Because you think good to me. I would hate to see you cry. Don't consider this goodbye. Where did the band name come from? And was it? one of like 30 different band names or you just guys just picked it right away. <laughs> that has been a sore subject for a long, long time. Brant, do you want to take that one? I uh, know you, 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 I mean, you technically named a band. So it, oh, thanks a lot, Steven, there were, there were, there were plenty of uh, alternatives to it, but yes, um, Ira, Ira got picked the name. 
I'd like and, so the way I remember it, and we're going back a long time now, so I can claim having um, a bad memory since it's been so long. But I always like to name the woods, and so for for whatever reason, I thought we were the woods for a while. Um, I have no idea how. Um, well, I know where Greenberry Woods came from. Um, I don't know why we stuck that on front of the woods. Nobody the Greenberry really... Woods is a, is a development, maybe, I don't know, probably a couple miles from where Brent and I live uh, currently. Uh, we live in different houses. We don't think we actually live together. But, uh, no, we don't. We live in, we yeah. still in bug beds. <laughs> That's right. We have bunk beds. So. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, and so I remember Ira came, and it's like the Greenberry Woods. We're like, yeah, that's kind of cool. It's kind of Beatlesque, you know, which was the vibe that we were going for. So, um, and it stuck, and and we it was like a temporary name that stuck. And we spent basically our whole careers, including after we were signed to uh, Sire Records, we were still trying to change the name. I think right up to album release, honestly. We were, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember being in the studio trying to trying to figure out an alternative we just can do it yeah i'm still trying to change it when you formed the greenberry woods what was the local music scene like in baltimore yeah um baltimore is a hair metal yeah baltimore is a metal town so it was you know we started playing you know we still the band started really in 89 started playing out in 90 probably like really playing out 90 91 and you know there was that i mean it was the last gasp of hair metal before um nirvana sort of blew that away and we so there it was it was you know there were some places we played in um college park we got lucky and there was this really cool place in dc called the bayou and we used to gig pretty regularly there matt had a good buddy of mine uh buddy of mine managed it that's why remember yeah, right. They managed the place, and um, yeah, and and uh, so we got we got lucky with a couple of places. So you know that that was sort of more of an indie place. It's pretty, it was pretty well known at the time. But uh, yeah, Baltimore. In fact, we really didn't play Baltimore in when we were still in college. It wasn't until after college that we started playing in Baltimore. No, I, I started in D.C. a lot more than Baltimore. Yeah. For sure. Well, that's actually a really great question that that you asked because, um, as I remember it, um, it was also it was a it was a hair metal quote unquote town, but oh, it was also sure. very big, big with cover bands. And we were yeah. determined right from the beginning that we were going to write our own music. So well, we, let, we, can I can I correct you, Ira, for a second? Please. We we the three front guys were not talented enough playing our instruments to play in a cover band. Correct. Miles probably could have pulled it up, but we didn't, we didn't do any covers because we didn't have the chops to do them. So we, yeah, exactly. you know, we were writing our own stuff because nobody could tell us we were playing the parts wrong. Well, that's actually, a, that's actually a great point. Um, and, and there's a lot of truth to that. Um, so we, we put together our, our own sets and, and we would go out there and I remember do you guys remember playing a New Year's Eve party in College Park yes. at a Holiday Inn? Yeah. Do you remember mm-hmm. how awful mm-hmm. big that was? Um, Nightmare. But, but we just kept we just kept at it. Um, we we would throw a few covers in there, but um, but we were really determined to to do our own thing and and uh, try to get a record deal and and write our own music. 
but it was a tough town. Baltimore was was pretty much all cover bands at the time. Everybody knew who he wanted to be before he even knew who he was. Everybody loved him, but no one could see who he turned into because now I don't know why they ever let him cry. You can hear him cry. Good man down. Well, being a melody-driven, harmony-related band, what were your main influences? Because I'm sure you guys stuck out like a sore thumb because you were kind of, like you said, right there between hair metal and grunge. Yeah, yeah the funny thing is um, we it wasn't until the band got signed that we found uh, that uh, anyway, I found, uh, you know, we and that's stupid. We all found uh, another band that was sort of in our genre and it was uh, Andy Bopp's band at the time. This is so that would have been ninety three. Was that Love Nut? It was. It was. It was before they were called Love Nut. They were. I'm trying to remember what the hell they were called, but it was the New it Alliance. Was the Love Nut guy. The New Alliance. The New Alliance. Right. That's right. And yep. um, and since then, there's been some power pop folks come out of the Baltimore Annapolis area area, but um, but I mean, I remember uh, you know we, I remember getting jazzed when uh, like Jellyfish's first album came out, and we were like, yeah, yeah, we. we Maybe there's a market for this, or when the Posies, uh, you know, like yeah, Posies, Teenage Fan Club, Fear Twenty Three, uh, yeah. Sweet, you know, all those bands were like big, big influences for us because it, you know, even though th- that kind of stuff wasn't making it in Baltimore necessarily, although I think Matthew Sweet did pretty well there. Um, it was, you know, it was something that we could lock into. Well, it took you four years approximately from the time you formed to when you finally signed a, uh, to a major label. How long had you been trying to ink that deal? And how is it that you ended up with Sire? Man, it seemed like forever when we were young, but I mean, I look back now, we probably really, I think we played our first show in 1990 and we were, we were recording our first album in 93. Am I wrong? That's got to be right because it came out in '94, and it seems like insane it's because we even took yeah. a break. Ira, Ira went to law school for a year, and we sort of took a. We didn't really do anything that year. Well, I, it, it's interesting because uh, I think there was one year where we decided to uh, all uh, leave ex- what we were doing at the time. I think it was 1992, and say, okay, um, we're going to dedicate this next year just to see exactly what could possibly happen. Um, in the music business. And I, and I think that, uh, of course, there's some level of talent involved and there's, there's millions of people who are very, very, very talented. And then there's always that stroke of luck. And I think that we got very lucky that we were in the right place at the right time. Um, that we happened to play a showcase in New York city at Kenny's castaways, uh, in front of Seymour Stein, who happened to like us. And, um, What's interesting is, is that I always look back on it and I just, I think that um, we're a band that probably got signed probably a couple of years, maybe before we should have gotten signed. Like you're almost seeing that first record as, as um, like before we were a a, a polished act or could have been a polished act. So it's kind of, it's kind of interesting the way I look at it. Yeah, I agree with that. And and the interesting thing about the band is, you know, there was a time, I mean, what, what we were, I think you guys agree with this. We're, we're songwriters. I mean, again, 
you know, Miles was certainly the best like natural musician in the band, but um, we were we were just incredibly prolific songwriters. And you know, had it been 20 years before that, um, we probably would have had an A in our guy that hopefully would have you know stuck with us. I mean, how many albums did Elton John do before he had a hit? You know, right. but they just sort of you know we get we got swept up in the whole you know, indie thing. Um, we got lucky. Um, there were some people, we were well-placed because we we're in the DC area. And one of the, one of the movers and shakers on radio was 99.1. And we knew some of the DJs there and they, they liked us. Um, so that helped. Uh, we were just in the right place in the right time. But I agree with you, Ira. I think that's where the wheels started to fall off with the second album is, you know, nobody really running the ship. And no, that's it. I just realized I used a terrible analogy because I said, the wheels fell off and then nobody was running the ship. And I'm pretty sure there's no wheels on ships. I'm not a sailor, but there's the steering wheel. There's the steering wheel. There you go. You know the you know, you know the consider at any time maybe going with an indie label or were you pretty much firmly set on wanting to sign to a major? I think great question. That's another great question. Do do you guys mind if I take this one and then you can correct me if you think I'm, um, I think at that point in time, um, we, we got that offer and it was a really solid offer. And we just thought this is, we're just going to take it because there was nothing wrong with it. And, and we didn't know the politics that were going on behind the scenes at Sire or where Seymour Stein was in, in his, um, in his career curve. And we just thought, okay, well, you just grab onto something, get your foot in the door and go. Um, we never thought of ourselves as in the position to, okay, well, we have this deal on the table. Let's go around now that we have this interest Let's go around to a couple okay, of other labels. And see well, and, and, and I would add to that. I, I mean, I remember this distinctly, and maybe maybe you guys remember it um, differently because we all all do. But I remember having a conversation. We played with the Connells a handful of times. I don't know if you remember them, um, Steve. Yeah, yeah, they were on TVT. Yeah, yeah, great, yeah. great band. But they locked into this deal. They were really popular on the East Coast, and perhaps could have. You know, been a pretty big national band, like a Hootie, I mean, Hooting the Blowfish esque. You know, there's no reason why not. And they wrote great songs and, and were very talented. And they couldn't get out of that TBT deal for the life of them. And, and they and they were very, res- I, I remember them being resentful of it. Now, maybe I'm telling tales out of school, but I do remember that. And I remember thinking, well, there's no, you know, just being on an indie is not necessarily any better than being on a, on a major label. Rapple Dapple was a was an amazing debut. The power pop community embraced the album quickly. Now, were you aware of the dedication of this power pop scene before the album came out? No, we didn't know. Nope. 
no. That's a resounding no. No clue. And it's funny because I, I, I remember, I don't know if you guys remember, but I remember reading some of the yeah. places that we'd end up getting press. And this is, of course, pre-internet, so it, somebody would have to send us, you know, maybe they'd fax it. That would have been high tech at the time or something. But you, know, you had to get your hands on the actual magazines. And, and the general consensus was, where the hell did these guys come from? Now, the album sidestepped the grunge sound, and the band seemed to be following your own musical path. But at any point, were you pressured by the label to maybe make the band sound harder to compete with the grunge scene, or were they supportive of your musical direction? May I take that question as well? Sure. And again, let me just say, if you guys want to jump in, at least from my perspective... Um, it didn't really seem like the label was very much involved in, um, we had, we had a producer, Andy Paley, who I, I think did a fine job, but as far as from the, the label itself, we never really had somebody that, that came down and said, okay, I think you guys need to take this direction or that direction. I don't really think the label was paying very much attention to us as a, as a group at all well yeah once again uh, our a&r guy was our a&r guy was seymour stein so we didn't have that experience that i think more artists and not did at the time where you had an a&r person who was like really behind you and they wanted to be involved in developing the band and they coach you and stuff like that we didn't we had seymour stein he threw andy at us which was really helpful for the first album i would argue not as helpful with the second album but um, no, no one would argue. Uh, yeah. With you. Yeah. Okay. But uh, yeah. He. Uh, but no, we didn't. Re- we didn't have an A and R guy. Seymour Stein was our A and R guy, which means, hey, you're signed. Now I'm going to go off do something else. So. So they were very hands off. Well, was it exciting at least to be on the same label that signed the Ramones and the Undertones and Talking Heads and so many other great bands? Yeah, man, I mean, Smith. we're brand are huge Smiths fans. You know, I mean. That's awesome. And I was a huge replacements fan at the time. And I mean, still am, but you know, so that was it for me. Did you have a choice in picking the singles trampoline and a do, or was that a label decision? Uh, every, we all knew that trampoline was likely the single. And then, uh, how, how he, how he climbed when he saw us live for the first time, basically said, that's, that's, you know, a do is going to be, uh, you know, that's your only chance of having a hit or something like that in the grunge sort of, I mean, it was very in tune to what was going on musically. So, um, I, I, I remember it that way. Again, we all remember things differently, but, uh, no, I think I that's right. Well, I knew that your feelings
Did you enjoy the video making process when you put those clips together for the tracks, or did you have any creative control over them at all? We got we got to choose like the directors and stuff like that. I mean, in hindsight, um, you know, we were just we were just. Uh, it, it's weird. I feel like, and I'm probably again, I'm speaking for all of us. But I feel like you know, we were just so focused on getting signed. And then once we got signed, it was just sort of like, well, I guess everyone's going to make us awesome. And, I, you know, in hindsight, it, it, Brent and I probably went the other way with that once we were doing Splitsville, is that, you know, we realized how much you want to maintain as much control as possible. So I think there was an element there, you know, where it was just like, yeah, hey, and we were kind of thrilled. Like, I remember the... the, the woman who ran the video department when we first saw the trampoline video and we were like yeah it's, it's great she's like what because she's like you know no no one looks at their video the first time and says that they all complain about something that they want changed you know they're like no nah, it's great i mean probably to our detriment you know i think um what's interesting is i think that you had uh four fairly intelligent guys in a group and um we we thought that when we signed the deal, and again, guys, correct me if you think I'm wrong. I, I think we assumed that the P and, and, and you can take this as a lesson, probably in, in every, in, in every step of the way along in life, you assume that, that just because someone holds a position um, and you're, and you're working with them um, that they, they know what's best. They have more experience and absolutely you, you need to defer to them, but that doesn't always mean that they know that they have all the answers. And I think in our case, we were, we were too afraid to rock the boat or ask too many questions or try to assert themselves because we thought that, that, um, that our position of, of being signed to this label, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for is that, it was, um, I have a good word that is, that is, that I'm, I'm not able to think of right now, but, um, and maybe we didn't belong. We were, we were just, you know, lucky to have gotten there. And that if we were to push things too much um, and and try to give our opinions too much, we might be we might be pushed aside. And that these people knew exactly what was right for us. And in, in hindsight, I think that we should have been more vocal on a lot of things. Right, right, even down to the. And this may be a good a good segue into some of the questions um, regarding the the record house right even into the choosing of some of the songs that are that yeah, were sure. on Rapple Dapple because some of the ones that were left off um, of that first record should not, in my opinion, have been left off the first record. Um, and I distinctly remember conversations um, that were, okay, well, let's not rock the boat. You know, this guy, you know, he's produced the, this, these people and he's friends with, he's really good friends with, uh, with Seymour Stein and we just don't want to get on the wrong side of Seymour Stein and et cetera, et cetera. And we, we, we work things from a position of weakness and not from a position of, of, of strength or, or confidence in ourselves at that point in time. And I, and I think that that kind of hurt, um, uh, or at least made it so it didn't turn out the way we may have wanted it to turn out. So, yeah. Number 37, Feels So Strange, remains a fan favorite. It's my personal favorite off the record. Are there any other songs on the album that you felt may have been overlooked? And as a second part of that question, where did number 37 fit into the title? Oh, I, I guess I should feel that one. Mm -hmm. um, um, do I feel that song was, I mean, 
Honestly, I'm a realist. You know, at the time, I just didn't think that there was no way that song was going to be on the radio. I mean, it would have been cool if it was, but it's I, not like I was. Um, it's not like I was uh, fighting for it. I remember. I can't remember what market we were in, but it was out on the West Coast, and one of the guys having dinner with one of the guys, and they were like, "Yeah, we we the they had been talking about nowhere to go was potentially being, just because I think it, it's it's one that's got heavier guitars and is faster." Mm-hmm. I think that's the only reason. Um, but uh, to answer your question about number 37, it's from um, the Velvet Underground's um, Femme Fatale. He says, uh, you're, written in, you're written in her book, you're number 37, have a look. I thought that was a cool name. Dapple quite a bit, and if so, what were some of the bands you guys played with? Yeah, we toured. Uh, we toured all of the U.S. and eventually, I think most of Canada uh, with uh, Rapple with Rapple Dapple. I mean, again, in hindsight, you know, knowing what we know now, it would have been great if we could have talked the label into um, sending us overseas. Because it turned out that we had a pretty significant following in uh, for Spain for sure. Some pretty big fans of. Greenberry Woods, and you know it would have been nice to have gotten to Japan too on the on the labels done. But um, but yeah, we did all of the U.S. Uh, multiple times, I'd say, and uh, and even up in a tour of Canada. We toured with uh, Proclaimers for about 14 weeks uh, when they were having success. They had put out their third album, and they they were sort of reinvigorated because uh, that song, uh, you know, 500 Miles, had just come out on Benny and June soundtrack, I think Benny it was. and June, that's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. And so they were having sort of uh, peak, peak success there. Yeah. Once the first album was in your rearview mirror, did you decide to stretch your musical muscle with Big Money Item, or did the experimentation happen organically? No, I think our songwriting on that album is really great. I'm not sure, you know, production-wise, we were all over the place. Um, we were, I mean, we, we had gone from... Uh, Meet the Beatles, and on our next venture, we were already the White Album. You know, we were kind of fractured, kind of doing our own things. When I look at it now, it's really just occurred to me that it's really almost like two albums. Because we had thrown a lot more stuff up against the wall for that album. You guys remember mm-hmm. that? I wish I could find that cassette tape. We had a cassette tape of, I don't know how many songs, 20 plus, mm-hmm. that, you know, weren't on the album or... Um, yeah, and you can't have a conversation uh, without a little bit without talking about Splitsville because we had done we had started Splitsville between the two albums, and the, then the label kind of came back via Andy and I'm not sure who you know who was leading what charge there, saying oh this should be the next 
I don't know if you remember that, Ira, but they were saying, like, this should be the next, you know, Gribble Woods album or these songs should well, be I think Haley was saying that he wanted to do something yeah. more like that. And it just yeah. wasn't what we were doing. And yeah. So I think yeah, that, doesn't make, for, that doesn't make for a good atmosphere when your producer is saying, hey, I think you're, you should go in right. the direction of, of yeah. the, the, the guys in the, that are doing the side project. That doesn't kind of make for... For, for, uh, and he was working with uh, with Brian Wilson, so we wanted to. Le- I know I wanted to leverage some of that for some of the songs, you know, to make them sound really orchestral. Absolutely. songs on Big Money Item, were they written especially for that album, or were they songs that may have been left over from the days before Rapple Dapple? No, House is the song they were, that were left over. Yeah, these were, these, were brand, these were brand new. I, I can remember actually scrambling to write because we were we were getting ready to go and, and do another record, and, and we had already gone through all of our old stuff that, that had been shelved. So we had to come up with new new songs. The album is actually, you know, like you said, you know, from Meet the Beatles to to the White Album, but it still sounds like this this huge musical leap forward that usually bands, you know, like you insinuated, it takes two, three, four, five albums to make. Um, but were you comfortable? Were you more comfortable in the studio by the time you came to record the second album? That's another great question. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I mean, I think we were all slightly. It just it was it was not a, it was sort of a poisonous situation. None of us were getting yeah, it was along. Yeah, not fun. And uh, Matt and I, I know, I know we got sick halfway through it. And I, I was Bale sick for, for about eighty percent of recording that out. Yeah, just yeah, you know, so just flu, it, it just, cold, whatever I could yep. get, I was just getting sick. And and you know, it, it just if you read well, the liner notes, you. You'd think Paley was some sort of like, um, because we Bengali. all played a bunch of different instruments on uh, Svengali, right? Yeah, but we, we all played a bunch of different instruments on it. It's just we didn't, we credit ourselves as a band. And then he said, well, on the album, I want to say I played all these things. We're like, okay. The way I remember it, you know, Miles, um, Miles, it was, what was the word you just used to describe it, Brent? The, um, the atmosphere making that record? Poisonous? Poisonous. What did you say? By the way, things yeah. are no longer poisonous, by the way. I just want to let your listening oh, audience know that. Everything's great. Um, but Miles, at that point in time, um, and he's just a happy-go-lucky guy, he would come in, play his drum parts, and roll out. He never hung out during that record. Um, <laughs> he would just come in, and then he would play, and he would leave. And actually, if you think about it, if you think about a group of guys that have been in the studio, this is our second time, um, and Paley was really... Man, I don't know where his head was, but um, and, and I'll tell you a story. The um, you want the good stuff, don't you, Stephen? Um, the um, but but Behind the music. I, I would give our I would give ourselves credit on this one because um, we weren't getting along very well at all, and we were kind of left to our own devices. I think um, in a sense that 
it wasn't like Paley was going, okay, well, I mean, we, we did the, we did the record here in Baltimore. It wasn't like he was a Svengali of, of, of guitar sounds either. We were kind of turning knobs and doing this and doing that. And, um, you're talking about four guys that kind of made that we had Drew Mazurik, who was, who was the, uh, who engineered the record, who did a great job with helping us out with that. But, um, we kind of pulled it together ourselves. That's what I think, at least my impression. I don't know if you guys remember if, if Andy was sort of like, okay, let's do this and let's do that. But I don't, I don't have that recollection. Well, I was just going to say, I do, I, I actually remember, like, I'll tell you, know, and again, we all have our own personal thing. For the songs that I wrote, and at that time we were, at, that must have been, talking about White Album, I mean, it was really like, well, if I wrote this song, I get to call the shots, and the collaboration wasn't as much as it could have been, and we still collaborated, because that, that's the way we got the basic tracks, but it could have been a lot better. Haley, in that respect, helped me get some musical ideas out, like Punch Truck, I Knew What I Wanted, and so he helped get that there. And, and same with like, go without you. He was like, you know, you sort of open that up to him and it's, and it's like, oh, well, let's try this. And that's great. Oh, you know, we should do this too. That's great. So that was, I felt very collaborative there. Uh, on the other hand, there's some songs where like, I feel like the bass line was totally emasculated on, th- these would have been my songs, obviously, because I would have been able to say no. But like a, a couple of Matt's songs he took, what I thought were cool bass parts. And he was like, oh, we'll do, we'll put the six string bass there. And one of them was O Janine, which it worked out because we actually did put the six string bass on bass there. But um, like the other one was super geek. And it's like, no, that's a, that's like, it's a, you know, it's like a punk pop song that you don't, that's not, that's not what needed to happen there. And so there was some of that stuff on the album that sort of feels me nuts. And, and some, some of the production, I think, of Ira's songs, if I'm going to, you know, he, that uh, I think Ira was at the point where he's like, you know, I, I'm talking for you, Ira, so you can, you know, correct no, me. Ahead. But I, I think, think he was sort of like, I think he was, you know, we, I think Ira was at the point where he's like, okay, whatever, let's just do it, you know. And some of the stuff, I think, made us sound less like, we, less of the choices that we would have made. Is that good or bad? That's that's not for me to answer. It's all subjective, but I would say less of the choices that we we would have made if we were more together as a band. album itself i mean i know you know obviously by talking with you guys now it, it wasn't the best situation but i can tell you it's still a great record oh thanks Thank great we appreciate I mean, that i'll tell you we've I, I, and i will speak for all of us i know we've had a great time revisiting those songs and performing them live because we didn't tour a lot on big money item i think we played i mean we played what two weeks of t- we made a played a half a dozen sets after that and then the band broke up 
So it's nice mm-hmm. playing yep. these songs and, 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 you know, we've got Paul helping us out with some keyboards and some additional like acoustic guitar. And it really, it's really, it's great. I mean, there are some, there's some really strong songwriting on that album. Yeah. I mean, we, we were Most- kind of peak songwriting back then. I mean, we were, you know, cause it was, you had to bring your, at that point, we'd already put out a major label album and you just, if you came with a, you know, a, a B, a B minus song, we w- it wouldn't make it past you know the three you know because typically we would like you know strap on an electric or start playing it for the other guys and it wouldn't make it through that you know through a full song we'd just be like nah just move on I and mean, there was just no time for us to to, to screw around with that stuff so I, I feel like songwriting was it's great it's the production I mean I remember again cassettes you you remember them the you know, young people today don't remember the old cassette, but I had a cassette player in my truck. I used to so listen to the, <laughs> you know, the rough mixes, and I was like, I was bummed out, like I legitimately bummed out because I was like, what I'm hearing in my head is not coming out on, you know, the way that I wanted it to be. And most of that was sonic stuff, not necessarily. Uh, it's tough to. It's tough to. It's more of just the way things were. Um, recorded and, and, and mixed, I guess, is, it just didn't work for me. So in well, hindsight, it's you know, it, yeah, it's its own thing. So, Well, we got, at, at, at the end of that record, when we listened back to the mixes, and I don't know if you guys remember this, um, we listened to it, and, and we didn't really like the way the record was mixed. And we did say something to our manager, um, John Lay, at the time. And they took a few songs and they remixed, I think, three or four of the songs. I forget who they sent it to. But Bob Clearmountain. Bob Clearmountain. They sent it to Bob Clearmountain. And the mixes were night and day. And, oh, night um, and day, yeah. And the mixes were excellent. And it, it would have made a world of difference, um, at least in the, in the way that we listened back to it. It might not have made any difference at all as to um, – as to what the record did once it was released. But I remember getting, I got a phone call from somebody very close to all of us in that situation and said, and that person said to me, and I'll never forget it. If you vote for those mixes, I will make sure that your record never sees the light of day. And so we all had a vote about what mixes we were going to go. I mean, what, cause it was, it was mastered. Sorry. Um, it was mixed by two different people, and we ended up voting for um, for the original mixes. And um, and after that, I was kind of like, oh, this is the, this is the way things work. It's not about the music and what sounds best. It's about um, it's more about internal politics. That was a that was a big lesson back then. And I still I think I still have that uh, those old Bob Clear Mountain mixes on. We on do. Yeah, we have them on that. Yep. That's it. I used to When you signed with Sire, wasn't it a two-album deal? 
I mean, were you aware that Big Money Item would be the last album for the label? Yeah, we, we were guaranteed. I believe we were guaranteed two albums. I mean, yeah, I think we were. I think we all just saw the writing on the wall. I mean, I think we all had high hopes for Big Money Item to be the next. But but we weren't a cohesive band at that point. So it was, you know, we weren't helping ourselves. It's not like we rallied, you know, each other and said, let's make this work. No, because I think that when it didn't take off initially, nobody, I think everybody was like, okay, well, that's it. Yeah, exactly. Well, wasn't uh, Sire going through some changes at the time, and, and so they really didn't promote it as well as they should have? Well, it was worse than that. I mean, we they, they gave us a choice to go from, you know, to choose. Uh, Sire was, I guess, being moved over to, like, Electra or Reprise. We could have them. We decided to go with Electra because of Reprise had put out the last one. And when Apple to Apple came out, we had a lot of radio ads because we had a pretty good you know, kind of a buzz going on the East Coast. And another band out of the West Coast had a similar buzz. It came out the same week. And so we, they flew us out to uh, the West Coast. We actually played on a flatbed truck in front of Warner Brothers Studios. And had they had all the, you know, everyone come out for happy hour. Greenberry Woods are going to play. They're going to show you the new band. Kind of show, and they walked us through. And that other band was Green Day. And we hadn't even shot our video yet. They had, we're getting heavy rotation. You know, they had Green Day posters and everything. We're like, oh, right. Okay, I guess we're not quite getting the same push. And then by the, yeah, by the fact, so that's when we were like, okay, we'll go with Electra. At least it's something new. And then they, right around the time that we decided to do that and the album came out, they had, and I can't remember what her name was, the woman who, who, start, who became the head of Electra. She was like, yeah, we're focusing on hip hop. And so we're like, okay. Without reopening old wounds. <laughs> Too late. Too late. <laughs> Just kidding. It's okay. We've, we've, we've gone through therapy. We are fine. Yeah. We're, we're good. Okay. Ask anything you would like. Yeah, yeah. I feel that like the energy dropped when I started talking about uh, Big Money <laughs> Item. It's like I'm, I'm over here feeling guilty. Maybe I need the therapy now. I, no, I think it's a great album, Steve. I, I do. You know, I mean, I, I, I stand behind it. I think it's a great flawed album. But, you know, I mean, I'll I, I hold it up to a lot of what people, a lot of what, uh, you know, Power Pop fans, you know, I, I put it right up, up there with a bunch of the other um, sort of seminal Power Pop albums. I'm, I'm okay saying that. Well, do you feel in hindsight that the band came to an end prematurely or do you feel like maybe it was just time to end that chapter? Um, Damn, that's tough, man. Yeah. I mean, it's tough because, you know, you're putting yourself back in your 25-year-old self. I wish the band had, I wish we had had the foresight to, because uh, we sort of scorched earth it there for a few years, and I wish we had had the foresight not to have done that and, and left. You know, we just didn't have the maturity to say, hey, you know what, this situation sucks. We all need to take some time apart and then... You know, uh, even if we just got together a year later and hung out and didn't make music, you know, um, great point. We didn't great make point. we didn't get together again for six years, and that's just stupid.
Well, you went your separate ways, pursued other projects. While they may have surprised longtime fans, were your recent live reunion shows a long time in the planning? No. Grant? Not really. Yeah, no, so I actually have these e- e- this email. I was actually just looking at today that was ba- back from 2009 is when I proposed to you guys, hey, you know, we have a bunch of material <laughs> sitting around. It was 2009. We have a bunch of material sitting. We've got an album's worth of stuff. So um, I know it had everything to do with Matt coming back, and I, I finally convinced the guys to get together. We got together at Ira's, and when we started listening, we had to find something that would play cassettes and uh, his wife's old boom box they brought up and we listened to a bunch of his stuff and, you know, we got, got the warm and fuzzies and, uh, um, you know, it really came, I sort of out of the blue, this opportunity sort of fell in our lap to play a gig that was going to be, you know, decent pay and put us in front of a fair amount of people. And then we did the, 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 the one which turned into two, uh, you know, first show back to just warm up for that. And then when that happened, the, this, um, a very good, uh, local indie station reached out to us and said, Hey, would you do the record, your record release party with us, which we just did last week. So all these things sort of fell into our lap quickly. And we panic stricken, looked at each other and said, how the hell are we going to pull this off? But I think we did. After two decades apart as a band, did it come together pretty naturally once the four of you were back in the same room together, or did it take a while to get back in the groove? Yeah, I'll, I'll answer that. I felt really natural with these guys. I mean, the music took a little while for us to remember the songs and the lyrics. And remember the like chords. That, but, and the chords. But, but um, as far as... Um, um, I mean, this has been a, 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 for for me and, and and hopefully for the other guys. I mean, it has been great getting back together with everybody. And you know, I've said it to to quite a few people. You really don't get a chance to um, when you've had uh, a tough time with some people that you've been close with uh, to kind of get things back on track. It's it's not not often that that happens, and and it's been fantastic. So getting back in the room with the guys. I mean, we've been laughing and having a great time. And, and it's been a lot of fun, lots of smiles on each other's faces. And um, uh, the music's been a little, little bit tough remembering stuff. I can't believe how many, how much you forget your own songs. It's, that's pretty amazing. Um, but otherwise, it's, it's, been, uh, it's been pretty incredible. I started laughing when I heard the news that you found another guy. talk about house can you tell us a little about the recordings on the album yeah so sure. um the first song is are you in love again it was one of the uh well the first song is are you in love again i'll come back to that one the next three are um this e- from a four song ep that we recorded in college park in 89 or I, probably 90 i'm gonna say it was 90 and um it was like the first stuff we did. It was sort of like proof of concept of, okay, we've 
we can do this because we had actually been in the studio once before where we only had like eight hours where we won like eight hours on a bat. The first thing we ever did was a battle of the bands and we won it. They gave us like six or eight hours in the studio. So of course we try to record five songs in that time, which you can't do well, especially when you hadn't played as much as we had. So anyway, so uh, you've been good, a uh, good man down. I don't mind. You waste my time. Um, that came from this, you know, EP. We did a fourth song on it. The song after I don't mind. You waste my time was more and more, which of course ended up on Rapid Dapple. Um, yeah, so, so, but those songs, like, like I said, it was kind of proof of concept for us. Are You In Love Again was a song that was one of the early ones that, that Pyro wrote was really one of, like, our sort of mainstay. Like, to me, that was the obvious single. And we were shocked when they rejected it for Rapple Dapple. We just couldn't understand it. I Probably Ira couldn't understand it more than any of us, you know? But I think we were all sort of equally shocked, like, that was one that I wish we could push back a lot more on. All of these tracks, these are all the original recordings from that period, correct? Nothing here is a new recording of old songs. No, Are You In Love Again? Yeah, the latest thing And we recorded that right before the band broke up, like 95. Bring yeah. 95, yeah. And that, that was sort of like how we would have done it, because we were kind of like, screw you guys. This, is, this should have been on you know an album. Here's what it is. Still, to, to your point, uh, Stephen, um, it, it's there was it's nothing new. We haven't done anything new in since '95. Were they songs that over the years you had forgotten, or I mean, I know um, you had said that you would send an email in, in 2009. Was there something that, while going through the tracks, that you rediscovered that you had forgotten about? There's three tracks that were from uh, from Live at Max's on Broadway, which is. That was sort of our home base in, in Baltimore, and um, uh, that which that was recorded the show that we played right before we went to Hoboken to record Rapple Dapple. So it's kind of cool that, that we got some usable stuff from there. Those three songs, the three live songs, were actually we, we cleaned up some of the the banter and the audience noise in between, so it wasn't just super long audience noise. But it's those three songs in a row. And the second one, uh, the first one, and I remember that, Matt sing the song. The second song came on, and it, 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 it's uh, She Don't Mean For Free, does the riff. And then the drums hit, and I'm, I'm like, what the hell is this? I wrote the song. Uh, it took me like 30 <laughs> seconds to go, oh, shit, that, I, I wrote this. Yeah. Now, have you talked about writing and recording new Greenberry Woods material, or are, are you too busy with your lives? Well, you know, it's funny, man, and, you know, who, who knows what's going to happen, but I, for me personally, I still think there are some songs from that era that, 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 that I would love to see the light of day somehow. I'm not sure how that would happen, but, because um, they would need to be recorded now, um, but that I think were good and, and deserve to, to be heard, and, and uh, yeah, so this one that I'm, I wrote and that I'm close to that I would love to hear, um, recorded but i don't know don't know we haven't talked about it will there be any future live shows for fans to look forward to to continue promoting this release yeah we'll we'll play more shows hopefully overseas <laughs> yeah i'd love to i'd love to i'd love to play more shows We're, we don't want to think about it till after the new year because we just have all this stuff going on but i, I mean ira i i would i would love to play more shows so yeah that sounds like a proposal we'll did you yeah, propose I, I, to Ira? I did. Ira, would you like to play more shows with me? I accept. 
no, I, I was kind of looking at this as like one chunk and, and it's just been such a, such a great experience to get back with these guys. And, and you know, it was, to me, it was, it was bigger than the shows. So I don't know if they felt that way, but I certainly did. And I don't mind saying that. So, um, yeah, sure, sure. but, but we'll see, we'll see what happens, um, in the new year and, and they've got other projects. I have, uh, other things that I'm working on as well. And, and, um, but certainly it, one thing that we've learned from this is that, um, the past is, uh, forget about the past. It's all in the past. Um, and, uh, we at least enjoy getting back in the room together. Um, so I would think that we'll do something else. Now, where can people find out more information about Greenberry Woods and your other projects? Yeah, Greenberry Woods. So the website, our website is thegreenberrywoods.com. And it's important that you type in thegreenberrywoods.com because if you type in greenberrywoods.com, you'll find out place where we got our name and, and you will find out you bedroom, might, you might even find a nice two bedroom yeah right yeah with a loft or something so that uh you know and that's got links on to cd baby and Bandcamp and all that good stuff so i i, don't, I think if people where there's a will there's a way it's not too hard to find how to get the new album and we even put some links to amazon to get brabble dapple and the big money item on on our website so it's a good place to start For this episode of Beach Blanket Fort Bingo, I'd like to thank Ira Katz, Brent Huseman, and Matt Huseman for chatting with me about the Greenberry Woods. And remember, you can check out the album yourself. If you go to Bandcamp, you can download it. Or if you go to CD Baby, you can buy a physical copy. That's right, CD copy, the Greenberry Woods. And I'd like to thank you for hanging out and listening. Smell you later. Smell you later.